I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never wrong. Hello. Happy, happy new year. Welcome to 50 Years of Shit Robots, season seven with Matt Brown. Hello. And Stephen Murray. Hello. <laughs> um, did you have a nice new year, Stephen Murray? Uh, well, do you know, still going along the lines of, of my feelings about Christmas. Yes. I hire a, a very, very, very remote Airbnb and go there with my accidental daughter and yes. the dogs just to get away from um, fireworks. Yes. But I love a firework display, a proper one. I do. I do. I absolutely do. When I was a kid, I loved back garden fireworks. And now I'm an adult. I love organised displays. Extraordinary. That just, <laughs> just sounds really rude. <laughs> bad, I re- bad. <laughs> <laughs> when I had my my first back garden fireworks, <laughs> I remember it vividly. <laughs> well, no, I much prefer an organised display. <laughs> so I was going to cut that out, all of that chat, because I thought it was too boring, but you've made it <laughs> eminently capable, I think. <laughs> right, uh, so it's the beginning of season seven. Hello, welcome. We've got lots of fab things planned uh, for this season. We've got a couple of absolute monster films uh, in all senses of that word that we're going to be looking at. But we're kicking things off um, with our now annual Asimov Day spectacular. Asimov Day is January the 2nd. I know it's not January the 2nd now, but we don't come out on a Tuesday, do we? We come out on a Monday. So this is as good as we can do. Um, So stop your moaning. Are you telling people off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preemptively telling people off. Now, last year, for our first Asimov Day, we looked at the Robin Williams uh, Yawn Fest Bicentennial Man, which, <laughs> which um, as well as being based on um, an Asimov story, has in it the three laws of robotics. Now, Stephen Murray, remind us, what are the three laws of robotics? Oh, I knew you'd do that to me. I knew it. <laughs> Everyone Everybody. knows what the three laws of robotics Every are. Every time. Well, well, we'll soon find out that there's four now. So we... Oh, are there? Yeah. I but anyway, know that. Okay, so the, the three laws of robotics are as follows. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to become come to harm. To become a harm. To become an arm. (laughs) Two, a robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Right. The third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Very good. So... For this year's Asimov Day, we're going to look at another film which has these three laws of robotics, what Asimov came up with, sort of as, as part of its DNA, and that is the 2004 <laughs> film, iRobot, starring 
your friend of mine, Will Smith. And in fact, one of the first things about this film that I thought was actually pretty good was the fact that, do you remember how they how Bicentennial Man wove the three laws in to begin with so that, so that the film knew that we knew what the laws were? Yeah, by terrifying some children. <laughs> yeah. Would you care to hear the three laws of robotics said to be a most entertaining presentation? Okay, sure. First law of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction cause a human being to come to harm. Second law. A robot must obey all human orders except where those orders come in conflict with the first law. Third law. A robot must protect itself so long as doing so does not conflict with the first two laws. Don't ever do that again. It's, it's a very <laughs> odd sequence, isn't it? Where Robin Williams, like a sort of carnival barker, <laughs> yeah. del- delivers the three laws of robotics. Well, in iRobot, they just happen like uh, it's as part of the title sequence. Yeah, there's an accident, isn't there? And there's two cars in the accident, and the bubbles that bubble up sort of make the three laws as the uh, the tragedy unfolds. Well. To be, it's it's um it's all bubbly to begin with, isn't it? And the three laws are bu- bu- bubble away like they're in water, and then yeah. we realise that there's some action taking place, some of the stories taking place, which are the two cars have have plunged into water. Will Smith is in one, and there's a little girl in another car, and then there's like terror, 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 terror on Will Smith's face, and then a robot uh, appears, and then. And then he, and then Will Smith opens his eyes and he's been dreaming. That's sort of yes. it, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, and th- this, this scene will then have more significance the f- sort of further we go through the film. He wakes up with his gun in his hand. Yeah. And, and I suppose that what you're, you're sort of, it's a bit of a sleight of hand, this first scene, because it portrays a man living in, sort of the 1990s in a flat and he's got a a stereo and he puts Stevie Wonder's um, superstition on the stereo and gets gets ready he's wearing clothes that wouldn't be out of place on a cop in the 1990s it's sort of leather trousers and a big leather coat and he's got his converse trainers on and then he goes outside of the house and there's like a robot delivering a um, FedEx parcel and you realize that actually you're in the year 2035 but will smith is very much a a man sort of trapped in the in the past yeah you make it it, it's really interesting this for me the different way that you saw it (laughs) i saw it from a very homoerotic point of view oh did you because he was just rolling around in his pants then he's naked in the shower yeah He's he's incredibly uh, fit in this film. He's very very fit. Yes, unbelievably fit in this film, and it was it looked to me like a fragrance advert from the nineties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. There's actually there's a thing that that filmmakers do in that's uh, uh, that is in this scene which I absolutely hate. Oh, go on. Which is where so Will Smith wakes up, and he's he's all sort of like. He's a, he's a bit he's a bit of a crumpled man, and he's and he's got a gun in his hand in bed, and he wakes up, and then he put the first thing he does is 
he gets out of bed and he puts on Stevie Wonder's Superstition. And so then, and so he, he's playing that on the stereo and we hear it as the soundtrack. And then he goes and he uh, eats some food and then he goes and he does some weights and then he's in the shower and he starts, he then starts singing along to where we are in the song Stevie Wonder as if everything that he's done has taken like one, like 30 seconds to do. Do you know what I mean? We've, uh, We've we've spoken about this before. It's a little bit of Nouvelle Vague. The French Is New Wave brought that in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can jolly well take it back with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 seeing it. It's playing around with film. It's not playing around with kind of reality. I suppose it is. It just what it does for me is it jars me out of the story. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And um, and and I find that that is for and for me, and that's just a personal thing. I think that that is. For me, that is a big crime of filmmaking. Oh, is when I'm gosh. is when I'm jolted out when I'm sort of thinking yeah, about yeah, yeah. something else other than the story. But I, I know that's just a very sort of just an old fashioned view, isn't it? Yeah, you want to be immersed. I do want to be immersed, and um, so that. But anyway, that was it right at the beginning, and I soon got immersed again. <laughs> Did you enjoy the film? Um. I I would probably give it a three out of five stars. I think if I was, if I was, yeah. you know, a Guardian critic or something. If I'd watched it without doing the research, I would have given it yeah three and a half, four stars maybe because I remember it from the first time I watched it. But after doing the research, two. Yeah, I know what you mean. It hasn't. I don't think that it's aged very well. Like the special effects were obviously like must have been cutting edge at the time. Yeah, they were. Uh, they were by Weta, the um, the Australian company who did Lord of the Rings and everything. And um, I, I think what they do really well in the film is they fo- when they focus on Sonny, an individual robot, it's really beautiful. But then when it's uh, big action sequences, it gets a bit janky. It does get a bit janky, yeah. It just gets a bit sort of, um, like wh- there's a lot of white in it, isn't there? There's a lot of white colour. Yeah, did or, this come before or after Minority Report? This was after. Oh, I think. well, uh, yeah, I think it's taking a lot of kind of references from Minority Report. Yeah, I mean, I the, sort of the th- feel of the film. I sort of thought it, it felt a bit like something like Three Hundred or Sin City or that. Oh, really? No, I don't mean it's not as stylized as that. Well, it's, well, I mean, it's quite stylized, but it's not as stylized as that, or it's, it's not as comic booky as that. But it's got that sort of green screen feel to it. Ah, okay. Do you know what I mean? So I didn't not enjoy it, but I wouldn't say. I mean, I, I've had to watch it <laughs> like three times for this podcast, <laughs> and I feel and I will never ever watch it ever again. An interrupted life—that's what you have. Yes, exactly. So I'm not. I don't want to go through the film like we often do, like no. beat by beat. But but just to just to sort of like um, explain the story, if you haven't seen it, is that Will Smith plays a cop. A cop who has a troubled past that we we sort of um, they find out, and and it, from from the beginning, he has a, a, a distrust, and I mean, I suppose a hatred of robots, doesn't he? Yeah, can we say it's irrational? It is ir- it, it is irrational, isn't it? And yeah. in fact, in, in in many ways, he he behaves like a racist. Like there's a scene at the beginning of the film where he is walking to work to to the precinct. Um, and he sees a robot running with a purse and so chases it down and sort of rugby tackles it to the floor after quite an extended chase. 
and it turns out that the robot was merely delivering a an asthma inhaler to a, a woman who was having an asthma attack. <laughs> there's, there's quite a funny there's quite a funny sequence where this woman absolutely tears him a new one. She does. Relax, relax. I'm a police officer. You are an asshole. You lucky I can't breathe, or I'd walk all up and down your ass. So Will Smith, whose name is what's his name? Spooner. Spooner. Detective Spooner. Det- what's his first name? Del. Del Spooner. <laughs> Del Spooner. <laughs> he is. Uh, he has to go and investigate a seeming suicide of Dr. Alfred Lanning, who is the co-founder of US Robotics, who has fallen to his death from his office window. So the police dis- declare this death a suicide, but but Del Spooner is sceptical and sort of it starts a little investigation where he meets a robo-psychologist, Dr. Susan Calvin. So we've got a world full of robots and, and the humans are protected by the three laws of robotics. Yeah. But there is also like a an artificial intelligence computer called Vicky. Yeah. Stands for Virtual Interactive Kinetic Intelligence, which has got eyes and ears on everything in the world, essentially, hasn't it? Yes. She first, shouldn't have, but she does. <laughs> yeah. So, first of all, Spooner thinks that the death of Dr. Lanning was perpetrated by Sonny, who is one of the robots. Then they think that the death was perpetrated by the CEO of US Robotics. Or okayed by the CEO. Uh, okayed, yes. Uh, yeah, at the behest of the CEO. Be- at the behest, yes. And then we find out at the end that it was the artificial intelligence computer, Vicky, who actually murdered. And the reason for that is... Um, the ro- but Vicky realises that if they are to protect the entirety of mankind, because the three laws focus on individual humans. If they are to protect the entirety of uh, mankind, then she's adapted the first law into a robot may not harm humanity or by uh, inaction allow humanity to come to harm. And that allows Vicky to have some spillage, shall we say. Yeah. She sort people of creates can, a police state, doesn't she? Yes, and so people can be sacrificed for the for the sake of protecting the entirety of mankind. That's right. And That's this is called right. the Zeroth Law. It's called the what? Zeroth Law. Z-E-R-O-T-H. And so this is in addition to the three laws of robotics. Yes. And this it is the fourth law. It, and it is an Asimov thing. It's, it, it is or it isn't? It is. Was this in a story then, this, this, this law? Yes. Because uh, Asimov wrote iRobot as a compilation of short stories, and then after iRobot, he wrote four complete novels, Caves of Steel, The Naked Sun, The Robots of Dawn, and Robots and, and Empire. And in one of those books, which I can't remember which one it is, the states in, in uh, America are all ruled individually by artificial intelligence, but certain things begin to happen and people who are against robots begin to get harmed. So the, the artificial intelligence are adapting and have prejudice towards people who are against robots. Right. Okay. 
Which is essentially Vicky. So that's what Vicky's done. Vicky has reinterpreted the first law and she sort of thought to herself, if, I, if, if I've got to, if we have got to protect humanity, then we're going to have to kill some ruddy humans. Yes, there's going to be some sacrifices. Yeah. So at the end of the film, um, Will Smith realises that it's Vicky and then he pours like nano, nanobots into Vicky and then the, the nanobots eat her all up. Yeah. And... <laughs> the world is saved and then Sonny becomes sort of like a weird um, like a Moses for for robots yeah he's been given dreams by Dr Lanning uh, and the dream is a breadcrumb that is to be given to Will Smith at some point along the line and it's it's a drawing of one person stood on this hill and lots of robots beneath him with a broken Golden Gate Bridge behind him he says to a spooner that you're going to be the liberator of robots. And at the end, it becomes sunny. Yeah. 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 Yes. And one of the other thing um, that we haven't mentioned is that the sort of the, the title sequence at the beginning uh, references the fact that uh, Del Spooner <laughs> hates and distrusts robots because a robot rescued him from a car crash. <laughs> I know. Well, I, just, I mean, talk about ungrateful. Well. Yeah. Um, and his his reason for this hatred is is that there was a twelve year old girl in the other car who drowned because the robot made a, a decision based on cold logic and odds of survival. Calculated that he had a forty odd percent chance of living, and the girl had an eleven. Yeah. So the robot chose him. Quite. I think that's pretty pretty fair, actually, isn't it? And. Yeah. But he doesn't think that, and he doesn't think anybody, anyone with a heart or a soul would make that decision. Exactly. I actually agree with him. I would have binned him off and gone for the girl because she'd been, she'd been lighter. <laughs> I don't think I could have carried, <laughs> carried Will Smith out of the car. She probably would have made a more interesting character in the film. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Do you want to mention the, tra- the trainers? So uh, in the scene at the beginning when he's, he's getting ready and he's in his... Um, 1990s fragrance advert the fragrance being called Asimov mm. um, he unboxes a pair of Converse I think they're leather aren't they yeah they look, look I mean leather he's basically Converse. just dressed in leather isn't he yeah he is actually and I was talking to a student of mine an ex-student of mine who runs a, an animation company now um, and he said oh apparently those uh, Converses they they made a Will Smith limited edition a series of those converse and they went for two thousand dollars a pair no yeah Yowzers. that is expensive that is, is that for 2004 you could do your thing <laughs> <laughs> what's your thing your thing when you d- do the money thing and make I it <laughs> i think you really could like have plastic surgery on your old fella <laughs> Where did that, that come sort of from? <laughs> when you said, oh, for that sort of money, you could do your thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> You're the one who saw homoerotic <laughs> fragrance commercial in that. Oh. <laughs> um, but that is a lot of dosh, 2000. In fact, it's probably, like, if you were to convert it, it would probably be worth <laughs> more than it is now. It? No. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Uh, well, mentioning uh, money, the uh, the budget for this was $120 million. Okay. Just to remind us, 2004. Yeah, that's a lot um, though, isn't it? Yeah, and it had a 
box office of 353.1 million. So it washed its face. It made the executives happy. It did. The uh, director of the film was Alexander Proyas, um, who also directed the film The Crow in 1994. And Dark City. Yeah, Dark City and Gods of Egypt in 2016. And he said that uh, the... He said oh, the movie was micromanaged and messed with at every level, at every point through the entire production. Wow. Um, he said, I used to describe working on iRobot as running a marathon with the studio lined up beside you, throwing chairs under you to make everything that little bit harder. It's so unnecessary because at all times I was just trying to make the best film I could. Although it was an, an unpleasant experience, he enjoyed working with Will Smith, though. Ah, okay. So the film has these little twists throughout, don't they? That that Dr. Lanning basically knows that Vicky is um, going to kill everybody. And so preempts that by killing himself and laying little clues as to reveal the identity of the situation. And I didn't realise when watching this but actually the, we have a twist ending to our podcast, don't we? Yeah, we do. Two. Three, maybe. Three Maybe, three maybe four. <laughs> because you would think that, given the fact that Isaac Asimov wrote a book called iRobot and that the film features the three laws of robotics created uh, in the brain of Isaac Asimov, the film is not based on Isaac Asimov's book. Suggested by. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the credit at the end, isn't it? Suggested by Isaac Asimov. How, how could he have? He was dead. Exactly. He didn't, couldn't suggest anything. No. <laughs> so where, what was the inspiration for the film then? The inspiration came when they had they had a script that was written by Jeff Vinter in 1995 called Hardwired, right. which was based on – it is based on the feel of the Asimov books. Okay. The, the detective in it was called Spooner. It was a detective story. It was a kind of a locked room detective story, whereas there's a murder and the suspects are all robots. Okay, and it all took place in one – like yes. a, like a sort of Agatha Christie style yes. murder on the Orient Express, one exactly. location kind of thing. Okay, yeah, they kept the name Del Spooner, uh, Detective Del Spooner. I'm not sure whether they kept the name of Susan Calvin, but Susan Calvin is the protagonist in all of the iRobot stories. She's in there in all of them because she's a robot psychologist, right? So what happened then was they had the script, and then Fox bought the rights to iRobot. The book, uh, yes, and then so they literally, they literally sort of shook the book over the script, <laughs> <laughs> let a little few little bits of Asimov dust fall out of it uh, onto onto the script. Literally put in the name Calvin, put in the three laws, and a few other tiny little things. Uh, there's a scene in the film where Sonny has gone back to the factory to repair himself because Will Smith shot him in the leg. And so in the factory, there's a, a thousand robots, exactly the same as Sonny, ready to go. And Sonny's hid himself among them. And that scene comes out of the short story, Lost Little Robot. And in the short story, the robot is told by a human, because he's getting on his nerves, to go away 
get lost. So the robot get the only way the robot knows how to get lost is to mingle himself amongst other robots. But that robot has a different first law. What? I know. So a lost little robot, which was written in 1947, was made into a TV program as part of the TV series Out of This World, introduced by Boris Karloff. That was in 1962. Amazing. But that is sort of not the only twist on this, is it? No. Because iRobot has other sort of histories as well, which we will be looking at in the next episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots, because... There were two versions of iRobot filmed, one in 1964 and one in 1995 for the TV show The Outer Limits. And yet that is not the beginning of the iRobot story, is it? No. iRobot really came into being in 1939. Written by Iando Binder, which is the pen name of Earl Andrew Binder and his brother Otto Binder. And this this was before... Um, Asimov's iRobot. Yeah. So they first appeared in, in Amazing Stories, maybe. Yeah, in Amazing Stories. Yeah. And that was so successful, he went on to write a whole... Because the, the robot is called Adam Link in that because his master who built him was called Link uh, and, he, and his master called him Adam Link. And then he went on and uh, right up until the 50s where AC Comics and Weird Science Fantasies printed the stories. Right, well, Asimov did read them, and he does he he does cite quite openly that he was uh, kind of inspired by them. Yeah, and didn't he say that he was cross with the publisher for calling his book iRobot? Yeah, he was because he was he wanted to call it something Heart of Steel or something, didn't he? So iRobot, the two thousand and four film, is not based on iRobot, the Asimov book, and iRobot. Uh, was a title that preceded the Asimov book, created by Iando Binder, this pen name for Earl and Otto Binder. And the the plot is the same as the 2004 film. So Iando Binder's 1939 short story is literally closer to the plot of the 2004 film than anything from Isaac Asimov. Right. Please join us for our next episode where we will be chatting through the iRobot Outer Limits TV shows. Uh, It's an Isaac Asimov uh, mini-season to kick off Season 7 here. So, look, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to tell all of your friends and all of your enemies, and if you've got any robots, tell them as well. And we will see you on the next thrilling instalment for iRobot Outer Limits. (gasps) Goodbye. Goodbye. You are an asshole.